Hello friends, I'm your host Chris Thrill, I'm a former Royal Marines Commando, I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T-Shirt Podcast. Dr. Andrew, how are you, sir? I'm doing well this fine day. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the the Bought the T-Shirt podcast, um, a subject close to both our hearts. Um, just as a, a a start, how how have you been keeping in yourself? Uh, it's it, it it's hard to speak the truth, is is it not? Well, it's uh, it's both difficult and also um, very fulfilling. So it uh, is uh, somewhat of a divine mixture, perhaps. And um, you know, I see trying to discover the truth about the natural world and educating other people about those truths as a you know part of my development and my contribution to the world. And that really sustains me. And of course, there are a lot of um, people who don't want to hear that. And uh, so that kind of resistance and uh, polarization is going on. But I don't think that's uh, a personal <laughs> affront. It's simply the condition that we are in and the times that we are experiencing. And so no one is really immune, uh, but it's important in order for the future to be one where we exercise our role as humans in a natural way versus uh, being part of some kind of uh, slave control system. Yes, I just uh, very uh, briefly, Dr. Andy, I'll, I'll just tell you my, uh, my story and why this is why my my interest peaked obviously over the last two and a half years is I, I started to eat, um, eat lots of vegetables, <laughs> not 19 years ago. Um, I got introduced to the, uh, the notion that all our bodies have a, have a, a pH balance. And I was one of these people that I was ill three times a year. If, if not more, I had the colds, the flus, the, the, the coughs and and back then we didn't know any different but to like blame it on dave in the office you know i've caught i've caught this thing off him and da, 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 da. and what i found is by by keeping my uh, uh you know my my ph friends at home if you're wondering why i'm holding this up these are test strips that anyone can buy you can get them for like 2.99 on ebay um like i haven't been ill in 19 years so right from the get-go when someone tries to tell me there's something like i can catch or some i'm i'm a bit like mm, i don't think so i think there's uh there's more to this than meets the eye can we say um how did it start for you andy what was your you know first because the the whole university system and the peer-reviewed kind of thing all falls on its ass if everyone's been fed the wrong information from the start or they've been coerced into you know it's all well and good having um research but if it's paid for 
for example by big pharmaceutical companies then it's 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 going to be steered in their interest and yourself as a doctor what how did you start to see through this well there were really a, a number of experiences which i had over time you know because when i went into medicine at first of course you know like i thought it was amazing and miraculous and uh, i really wanted to learn about the body and i wanted to be able to help individuals uh, who were suffering and my first real clinical experience as a professional was actually as a physician assistant uh, which i did before i went to medical school and i worked in cancer medicine and bone marrow transplant and what i saw there is and I didn't realize this all at the time because I already we have the expectation that in, you know people with cancer are not going to do well. But I saw just every single patient uh, die, uh, with the exceptions of uh, one rare form of leukemia, where they were able to recover um, and be cured. Except in those cases, we didn't use chemotherapy; we gave a form of vitamin A. And it really didn't occur to me that uh, this division, like I was, you know, it was always uh, exciting when we got someone with this rare leukemia, and there were only a handful over the two years that I did this work. Um, but it didn't occur to me that, oh, the treatment was just something from nature rather than some chemical poison that originally was based on uh, nerve gas, you know, used in wartime. So I started developing this kind of, you know, uh, seed of a thought. And then when I was later on, I went back to medical school and then I decided to do my residency training in psychiatry and I was at Duke University. And in my first year there, they had this mandatory course uh, for all of the first and second year residents. And it was, it's a four year training program. Uh, where we did a, what they called a critical appraisal of the literature. And we looked at clinical studies, mostly you know, involving psychiatric medications or other psychiatric-related um, uh, instruments or, or therapies. And we learned how to do a critical analysis. So we learned about different um, type of clinical trial designs and how to analyze the statistics. And what we saw essentially is that m many of these published papers were disingenuous and they had all kinds of biases. And this played out on so many levels. I even saw it actually happen with a junior faculty who was um, working on a research project with like the big guy, the chairman. Um, and it was funded by a pharmaceutical company, like you mentioned. And they were looking at um, people who had heart attacks and depression and could they improve outcomes with an antidepressant drug? And I saw that they were basically recruiting people who didn't have depression, that they had like a problem, like a conflict in their family that was stressing them out. And they knew that if they put them on Zoloft and helped them deal with the conflict, they would get a good result. And so they recruited those people, even though they didn't meet the criteria for the study because they had pressures to meet recruitment targets and they wanted everything to like be favorable so they would get future grants, right? And, and so all these biases uh, play out and many of them are invisible unless you're part of this establishment. But you can also just read papers 
and find out that uh, these conclusions aren't true. But here was the, the real difficulty or conflict that was created because we reviewed this paper about antidepressants from, I think it was from the uh, American, one of the American Medical Association journals. And what happened is a statistician put in a Freedom of Information Act request for all of the um, studies submitted to the FDA to get approval for antidepressants because they don't publish all the studies. They only publish studies which have favorable results. If they have a study that shows negative results for their drug, they don't publish it, but they still submit that to the FDA. So this statistician took all of the data from all of these studies given to the FDA and put them together into one analysis, and that's called a meta-analysis. It's a very powerful tool if it's done well. And it essentially showed that there was really no meaningful difference between antidepressants and placebos. And everyone in that class, including the faculty, all agreed that, you know, as a result of this, we can, we can say with fair certainty that antidepressants are only placebos, and of course that means we shouldn't use them. Uh, because it's considered unethical to use placebos in medicine these days. So, <clears throat> but then the next day, or even later that day, we go to the clinic, and then we're told by the same faculty to prescribe antidepressants. And that really was uncomfortable for me, and that's when I began uh, my very conservative approach to medications, uh, which over time led to me taking all my patients off medications. Um, and that was kind of the last uh, um, way that I could stay in the system before I realized I had to leave that system completely. But I experienced directly teenagers, many of them, getting suicidal thoughts from taking antidepressants. And when I took them off the drug, the suicidal thoughts disappeared. I saw, you know, um, teenager after teenager who were prescribed stimulants for ADHD having growth retardation. And when I took them off those stimulants, which by the way, are really no different from methamphetamine or crystal meth or cocaine, they suddenly shot up like weeds. I mean, they had major growth spurts. Um, all these kids were kind of living with being short, you know, having this kind of Napoleonic uh, experience uh, when really they were average height or taller and according to their biological potential, but we were suppressing it. Right, and I came across this study from Tennessee where they looked at all of the Medicaid recipients, that's a health program for poor uh, individuals and, and disabled, and um, all of the children in the Medicaid program in Tennessee, many of them were given antipsychotic drugs because of this whole um, collusion between academic psychiatrists and the uh, pharmaceutical industry to promote these things and teenagers saying that their bad behavior is really bipolar disorder. And it turns out that a really staggering proportion of these children in Tennessee experience sudden death. But these things all right, uh, led me on a path of uh, separating from, from that system. How is it, Andy, that we've got in this situation where any kind of uh, holistic health approaches are now almost laughed upon um which is kind of if you look at a, a mammal in the nature when they get ill they this is what my research has led me to understand is that the, the first thing they do is fast they'll yes. take them as you know they'll stop eating 
in 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 the immediate instant they might even stop drinking just uh, i'm guessing to rest their bodies give them time to recuperate and then build back up on i don't know if we're talking in the human sphere i i, I would say yeah, chris you you'd be interested to know that even in the mainstream medical research literature they have studied fasting with injuries and have found, uh, because you know, you're absolutely correct, this is the model of nature. All animals, when they are injured or sick, will fast. Some of them, yeah, completely, but you know, these animals are well hydrated to begin with. So if they dry fast, it's because that's what nature is telling them to do. They don't have the thirst. Um, and have studied this and, and found that it accelerates wound healing and recovery from injuries. So, you know, this knowledge is there even in the mainstream. Of course, it's just suppressed or ignored, as you mentioned. And this originally comes from an infiltration of the healthcare education system by the, you know, robber barons um, and the Rockefeller uh, group uh, where they created the American Medical Association and uh, came up with the Flexner Report, which basically made, uh, laid the groundwork for a pharmaceutical industrial complex monopoly. And they are the ones that ha are responsible through their public relations campaigns for, you know, ridiculing any other approach outside of their system. But what I've learned over the last uh, six years, approximately, through studying this and through direct experience, observation of individuals who are using these natural methods uh, that we alluded to, that, that they actually have amazing health outcomes, that all of these chronic illnesses, which we're told are incurable, and that uh, the, the pharmaceutical industry would want you to take drugs to manage your symptoms or have surgical procedures or get further diagnostic tests if uh, that people can completely recover from these things so like autoimmune disease neurodevelopmental disorders cardiovascular disease uh, diabetes etc yeah so we kind of been sold the line that without big pharma <laughs> we there's there's no other option and yet history that's hist correct it, it just a bit of history and and a little bit of common sense well you know though that the the doctor right the white coated doctor is a sacrosanct figure in our culture right since we're very very young mm -hmm. we you know have this exalted uh image uh, of doctors and even if you look at sociological studies of you know prestige uh, you can find that doctors among the highest now it's interesting that if you look at uh, doctors they have high rates of addiction um, you know they don't live very long etc cetera, etc cetera. but um, in terms of how society views them, right? They're, they are on this kind of uh, stage. And it's very difficult for individuals to get past that and see that. It, and it may not be that the doctor is a bad guy or a bad girl. Uh, it may be that they just are put through the system and they're indoctrinated and they, they haven't looked outside of it. They haven't had the ability to question things or even just observe what's happening right right in front of them with their own patients because what they'll see is that the pills that they're prescribing are not improving any outcomes that the that people just get sicker and sicker you know i saw this when i was in mainstream medicine and uh, i was like you know what about all these you know cures that were promised like when i was a kid 
it was the era of you know molecular biology expanding. I even studied this in university. And there were all these promises that, oh, we're on the verge of understanding and curing all of these diseases, you know, cancer, uh, lupus, et cetera, et cetera. And then now I've, you know, been in that uh, system for decades uh, since I began my education. And where are they? Where are the magic cures? Mm. Uh, right? There, there are none to speak of, and there are never going to be any uh, because that approach is really only poisoning you and keeping you sick. And when those drugs um, result in improvement of your symptoms, they're essentially suppressing your body's normal healing functions. And that is part of what perpetuates the chronic illness because it turns off your body's healing systems, uh, which you might experience some discomfort with. Um, and I believe that that is actually an important um, piece of information because that discomfort informs you to make changes in what in your behavior to avoid the problem. It's just like if you went to the beach on a hot summer day and started walking on the hot sand and bare feet, you would experience a strong pain signal that would tell you, stop walking on this hot sand or, you, or are you gonna burn yourself? And what do you do? You put on some sandals or you go to the water. Um, I had a colleague way back in my uh, physician assistant days who had diabetes and a neuropathy, which means that she had numbness or inability to, to feel temperature and pain um, in her feet and her fingertips. And she went to the beach, and this was in South Carolina where it's really hot, and ended up with second degree burns on her feet. And she showed up for work on Monday in a wheelchair with her feet all bandaged up. So that's a, a great lesson of what happens when we ignore the discomfort signals from our body, which are trying to tell us that we are doing something, maybe unintentionally, most likely, that's harming our body. Just like earlier in your life when you may have been eating a bunch of processed food and uh, doing other unhealthy things, but you didn't realize, um, you know, because we've all been misinformed about what brings about bad health, and we've all been misinformed about what good nutrition is. <laughs> Right. So you didn't know, but your body was still giving you signals at that time that you didn't know how to interpret or you didn't think you didn't think were information. You thought it was a sign of, you know, perhaps being unlucky and suffering or maybe just it's a part of the aging process uh, when really it was about what you were doing in life. And once you realized that and changed it, right, then all these things improved. Uh, massively for you. I tell you something, Doctor Andrew. You're an absolute legend. You really are. <laughs> no, I mean it needs to be said. Um, the world is under such a massive lie. This uh, almost this um, um, hi hi hypnosis. I, I think. I, I, I mean, and and it, uh, friends at home, you know, this affects us all. How many times a year do you get someone come up to you and say, oh, Chris, my son's dying of cancer? And and it's got to the point where, like, you literally you can't say anything to these. And you can't say, do you know what? Like, if your body's created that, you can actually reverse it. Um, do you know about terrain theory? Do you, do you understand how cells work, even, even, you know, in a basic basic level and the fact that we can have this conversation i think is a, a just a great step forward and i'm 
I asked you at the beginning, you know, how are you and yourselves? Because I know, I know the cost of stepping out of the mainstream and actually telling the truth. And so over the last two and a half years, very few people have done it. Even those that know or that uh, certainly have their, you know, they, they've shut up. Um, and it comes at a cost and it, it, it but but as as you said doctor uh also the benefits of being able to give <laughs> out you know we 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 can sort of you know um, uh, work that out in our mind I, I can say um can we go back because a lot of people won't be aware that modern medicine is all based on on well essentially i'm just i'm 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 um uh what's the word pseudoscience uh yeah <laughs> I, I was gonna I, I wanted to talk about germ theory and um louis pasteur and antoine beauchamp um to try to help people understand the difference between what modern medicine's based on which is what i call a bogeyman is like this magic yes. illness that can jump from one person into another one and oh my god you're all gonna die in your beds as opposed to uh, uh, t terrain so should we talk about um pasteur and, and bishop bishop do i i don't even know if i say it right that's okay it's uh it's very hard i believe it's bishop bishop okay yes but yeah so these are you know um two scientists one who has been uh you know sort of idolized through history and things are named after him, Louis Pasteur and Antoine Béchamp, who is uh, most people have no idea that he ever existed. But um, this was a very interesting dynamic. Um, and there's a good book uh, written about this. But essentially, Béchamp was a real serious scientist. And he was studying, um, you know, the origins of microbial life. Uh, and he was doing this by looking at fermentation, right, which is how we make uh, uh, spirits or um, vinegar and things like that. So where we have microorganisms that consume some food, like a source of sugar, and then they uh, metabolize that and create um, some product, right? It could be acetic acid, which is vinegar, it could be ethanol, uh, or it could be actually convert sugar or convert sugar like to grape sugar, uh, for example, is another um, output. So Béchamp was studying this. And at first, um, he, real he did experiments where it seemed that there was uh, something in the air that needed to go into the experiment to make fermentation happen. And originally, Pasteur, who was looking at Béchamp's work, um, but they were not colleagues, originally believed in what's called spontaneous generation that uh, organisms just appeared out of out of thin air and then after a while he adopted these experiments from Béchamp um, which really laid the foundation for some of the germ theory beliefs that we have today based on that experiment I just told you and started but but he didn't um, do really original science himself he he replicated some of Béchamp's experiment but did those in a 
sensationalized way with a lot of publicity and was trying to ingratiate himself to the French aristocracy. And he was very successful. That's why he was called upon by the government to um, deal with some public health issues and um, eventually came up with the pasteurization process, which we know is still used today. In fact, um, you know, it's illegal to sell certain dairy products in the United States and most states uh, without pasteurization. But um, Beauchamp continued further experiments showing that you could have fermentation based on microorganisms that were in the plant or in the animal that didn't come from the outside. And so this, and then he found these little particles uh, which he called microzyma, and these are kind of like the stem cells for bacteria and fungi, and they can develop and change shape just like our own stem cells can uh, into different types of microorganisms, and these things exist in organic or natural materials, not just in organisms, but actually in minerals. So he did experiments where he had chalk that was mined from the earth, and there were microzyma in the chalk that were able to, given the right environmental conditions, develop into microorganisms and carry out fermentation. Whereas when he did the same experiment with chalk from a manufacturing facility, man-made, there was no fermentation because that was created in an unnatural way and didn't have these uh, little microzyma. And, uh, Several other scientists have picked up on this work, and uh, it's the general field is called pleomorph uh, pleomorphism, and it is a, a theory under the umbrella of terrain biology or terrain medicine. Um, and it's it's been really ignored by the mainstream because one of the issues we have in medical science is that the mainstream medical science only looks under the microscope at dead tissue. Whereas um, Beauchamp and uh, others, uh, such as uh, Gaston Naissons and uh, Enderline, looked through a microscope at living uh, cells. And that's where they could all see these little uh, microbial stem cells, and they gave them different names, of course, but they all observed the same cycle where they could change shapes and into different forms. Um, so this science was never integrated in the mainstream. Instead, uh, Pasteur's um, ideas about that there are germs in the air, and since they can go into a vessel and result in fermentation, then that would mean they could also go into our bodies and eat us from the inside, causing disease. And that has been permeated, you know, and is the central idea right, basically of this warfare model that there are unseen forces to make us sick and there's nothing we can do about it except go to the white-coated doctor and get the magic potion or uh, get sliced up by the surgeon um, in order for a cure. And that is essentially the paradigm of modern medicine. However, um, there is no scientific experiments using the scientific method that back up um, any of those ideas. And in fact, the experimental results disprove uh, those things. Like for example, streptococcus that's said to cause uh, disease, right? A strep throat and other diseases. Um, why is it 
if we just swab our throat when we're healthy, we also find streptococcus bacteria. <laughs> mm. So how could it be there um, if we're healthy, if it causes us to be sick, right? That, just a simple analysis like that is very, very helpful. But when they tried to give these organisms you know, to experimental hosts, um, they didn't get sick. Uh, there's a famous um, microbiology professor around the early 20th century who used to swallow a pure culture of cholera bacteria every year in front of his students, and then they would observe he would never get sick. <laughs> um, and, you know, now it's known that only when cholera bacteria um, feed on sewage-contaminated water, they create a waste product that's toxic called cholera toxin, and if you drink the water with that toxin, you get cholera. But the bacteria doesn't cause anything. Um, it would be, you know, like eating someone else's poop and getting sick. Um, and it really kind of is because that bacteria is trying to clean up the sewage in the water, uh, which we already know is not good to, to drink. Uh, so it has nothing to do with the bacteria. But they've um, essentially created some crazy experiments to try and back up this theory, but all of the uh, real experiments using the scientific method have essentially disproven that these germs cause disease. So, Doctor, essentially the illness comes from within. You mentioned ple pleomorphism. The, 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 well, pleomorphism is not illness. It's your cell that can change, that has a function in it. And that function well, is to, to save your life? Am I think am about I... it? Think about it um, a little bit more simply because everyone's familiar with the gut uh, microbiome, right? Mm -hmm. That we have all these different microorganisms in our gut and that they're important for our health. And this is why people take actually capsules filled with bacteria, mm -hmm. right? To sort of give the good uh, bacteria back to our gut. Well, what is actually going on is that throughout our entire body, there are microorganisms in different forms. Um, by most mainstream estimates, they outnumber our human cells about 10 to 1, even though they're much smaller in size. And what we can learn from pleomorphism is that these bacterial and fungal forms actually develop right out of our own body from these little stem cells, which we can observe in a live blood sample, for example. And in someone with what happens is often if there is a uh, tissue injury, like something that causes damage to the body, right, which could come from food, air pollution, injections, medications, many, many things, right, drinking too much alcohol, um, these things will damage our body. Our body can develop the appropriate microorganism to help recycle the damaged uh, material from our body. Right, and they're kind of nature's recyclers. We can look out in nature, actually, and find lots of examples when there's dead biological material, like branches and leaves that fall off the tree, uh, for example, or, or animals uh, who perish. And there's all this whole cycle of natural uh, scavengers that you know consume that flesh so that it could be reduced back into the earth and bring forth new life right this this awesome natural cycle when we you know we have a compost pile in our backyard uh, what happens is the microorganisms from within that material we put in the compost pile began digesting it and reduce it into you know humus 
essentially the basic uh, elements and, and then we, you know, or we call it compost. And then that we mix that in the soil to put that nutri nutrition or those elements back into it. And the microorganisms in our body do the same exact thing. So uh, let's say, for example, we, you know, drink uh, toxic, uh, you know, beverages like sodas, for example, uh, or energy drinks um, or pasteurized, you know, factory milk uh, that has all kinds of hormones and antibiotics and uh, other things in it. And, and it damages the tissue in our throat every time we swallow it. And that damage builds up to a point where the body has to initiate a healing process. And part of that healing process is to remove the damaged tissue Right, and this is something that happens during fasting. By the way, it's accelerated. We call it autophagy or the body eating itself. But it's like all the damaged proteins get recycled. Um, any cells that are no longer viable uh, undergo a sort of um, self-destruct sequence. And then all that material is eaten up by these microorganisms um, that can help uh, get it out of the body or make it into a reusable nutrient. And that's what we experience like during the inflammatory process. And when we have secretions, like all of the snot that uh, comes out of your nose or the um, pus that might develop in the back of your throat and drip down, that's um, your body's mechanism of getting rid of those waste products. Mm -hmm. Like they're dripping out of the body. You know, anytime stuff is coming out of your body, um, other than for sexual lubrication, I think might be the one uh, exception or maybe salivation for digestion. But generally speaking, when fluids are coming out of your body, it's your body's trying to get rid of something, right? That's what diarrhea is. That's what a runny nose is. That's what coughing is. That's what a fever and sweating is. All these mechanisms, even when you sweat into your armpits, um, that your body's getting rid of waste products. That's why it it's sometimes smells bad. And the more of a toxic lifestyle you have, the worse your uh, body odor will be uh, for, for many people who have uh, developed this pathway. Can I, can I just say, Andy, a lot of people won't realize that when you eat a, 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 what I call a majority plant-based diet, which is um, what myself and my, my girlfriend uh, uh, moved, you, you, you no longer have to use deodorant. Um, I think a lot of people wouldn't realize this. And yet, I haven't, when it, uh, you know, I, I think it's really about eating a, a clean diet. And I think there are uh, a lot of different ways that you can do that. And I, and also like I, uh, I, I'm a little bit uh, skeptical of the term plant-based because many people use that to describe processed pea protein powders and uh, tofu and things like that. And those things are very uh, damaging to eat. So I kind of talk about a whole food um, diet, right? Where, um, so if you're eating plants, right, you're eating raw fruits and lettuces, and then you're, and you're eating, uh, vegetables of various things, but in their whole form. So in other words, um, you know, not, uh, processed, not processed flowers, yeah. right. Um, or, or things like that. So yeah, that, you're, that's more, you're, way, you're more you're right? more articulate than me, doctor. <laughs> well, no, no, that's it, listen. It's just that uh, yeah. you know I've been studying nutrition for uh, decades mm -hmm. and have have gone through a lot of different cycles about what I think um, is healthy or not healthy. I've experimented with many uh, some extreme diets like uh, the Dean Ornish ultra low fat 
uh, diet, etc. And I realized that it's extremely difficult to know what is the best thing to eat for health or what humans real natural diet is. Uh, there are different ways to look at these things. Um, but there's so much uh, misinformation and confusion and, and conflation of, uh, of various factors out there. It's, it's really difficult to know <laughs> what the best thing mm -hmm. to eat is. But if you simply think like, I want something as close to nature as possible, right? So if I go to the nectarine tree, pick a nectarine off the tree and eat it, that's very close, like that's as close as you can get to nature, yes. uh, right? And that's, that's what the, the way you want to think about nutrition um, to uh, really restore your health. Yes, exactly. Sorry, it, it is a confusing term. I, I should just say that I'm not like a vegetarian or a vegan, like 100%. But if you look at my plate in a restaurant or, or at a meal, it's going to be mostly vegetables, preferably green vegetables still eat meat still eat carbohydrates um uh but i just try to keep uh, uh uh try to keep that down and and as we were saying one of the things i noticed is that that you you don't smell <laughs> awfully um anymore it's the same when you take medication you, you suddenly you 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 can smell it coming out of your um you need to smell the difference um, coming out of your body. It's uh, I, I'm, I'm only mentioning it because a lot of people probably would never have, you know, most people just slap on the deodorant every morning yes. and otherwise I'm going to stink. And life doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> um, Absolutely so, correct. Um, we've done really well, Doctor, to not mention the old uh, C word and the old V word, um, which is great as far as uh, a certain video platform is i think everyone knows the one i'm referring to i don't know if we can continue that but you know listen you if you have my name associated uh with it on uh on youtube there's uh, a risk just based on that okay. uh, it will get censored so um uh, but you know i'm i can be very sensitive to the language uh, even if you want to yeah talk hey hey uh, uh it, it's we've got a lot of other platforms doctor don't worry and we will we my, my editor luke is he's uh, very savvy now because we managed to survive the last two and a half years without getting taken down um what i think we're one of the few channels that have and it's because we we've learned to avoid certain buzzwords um but and and we'll we'll do whatever so don't worry if we need to say stuff we need to say it because the truth needs to get out there but what I wanted to say is, so what is your, like, your elevator pitch on what the hell has happened this last two years? Well, um, well, what I think has happened is that uh, we have had a major um, psychological operation that was uh, put forth to institute some of these uh, globalist plans that uh, you know are outlined in the the Great Reset uh, Agenda uh, 21 from the United Nations, um, from other documents and other foundations that you can look at the CFR, the Rockefeller Foundation, um, et cetera, et cetera. There are many of them, um, and 
the coordination um, level of planning and execution uh, was really uh, quite impressive, um, including the, you know, the, the psychological aspects were really done extremely well that, uh, you know, the majority of men and women the world over have been, you know, completely fooled. Uh, it's important to realize that um, there are ways to, to look at nature and develop understanding. Um, and if you, so there, there are two ways that I think about it. One is simply observing nature and natural phenomenon. So, you know, what we call an illness, if that's what it really is, because it may actually be a, a healing episode, but we'll, we'll stick with illness for now, right? That's something we can observe in nature. Um, we see, okay, Johnny gets, starts coughing and gets sick, right? Or, uh, you know, cousin Bertha uh, has a growth on her leg. For example, we could all look at it and we could say there's something there that's different. But by making those observations, it tells us nothing about the cause of those uh, illnesses. Um, and this observation field is epidemiology. Right. So this is like, you know, saying, oh, how many people are sick with respiratory symptoms? How many people are sick with heart attacks? How many people died of a heart attack? Right. It's just an observation. It, it doesn't speak to what causes heart attacks or it doesn't speak to what causes respiratory symptoms. And we can observe, you know, people getting ill. We can observe people dying. But it tells us, you know, it doesn't tell us what caused that outcome. If we want to determine the cause um, we have to, you know, think further about, um, well, what, what are my guesses at the cause of this? And then we can design an experiment to test that. So if we think, uh, you know, there's this cause of something from nature, uh, we can get that thing from nature, we can put it in some experimental subjects and see if they develop the same illness. But for your case, we can't really go back and do an experiment because, um, you know, it's already in the past uh, and we, you know, we'd have to think about. Now, one idea that that makes sense to me is that all those years that you weren't sick, your body was still um, probably exposed to toxins and they could have been accumulating. So when you finally, uh, your body was ready to, to go through a cleansing and you got sick, um, it had built up a little bit more and it took a little bit longer for you to cough those things out. So mm -hmm. your cough lingered. But I'll tell you that uh, there, every single year during flu and cold season, there have been lots of people who ha got an acute illness and then their cough lingered. In fact, I experienced that myself, um, you know, earlier in life. And um, it's mm -hmm. nothing new or distinguishing from the past. So we can't say you know, there's no basis to say that it's anything new, even when, you know, that normally what if, if you had a health crisis right, where suddenly you were noticing individuals getting sick in a different way or dying in a different way that was unexplained, what you would do is you would autopsy every single individual who died of that. Right. And you would take uh, fluid and tissue samples from people who presented the illness but were still alive. And you would look for distinguishing factors. And we have these for, you know, many illnesses, like, for example, Alzheimer's disease. If, you, uh, if someone dies of that and you look at their brain under a microscope, you find 
very unique things that you don't find in other diseases. And that tells you that this is a, you know, a unique process. Now it actually overlaps with some other dementias. So you could say maybe those are really the same thing, but it looks totally different from someone who's had a stroke uh, or someone who has multiple sclerosis, right? So you can definitely say these are different in some way. Right? They're different disease presentations. But when they did some small autopsy series during the last couple of years, there were no findings on the autopsy that were different. Um, coming on to your, your documentary, Doctor, what, how, how has it been received? Uh, it's been very well received. Um, actually, I have a, a meeting uh, a little bit later after this to uh, discuss um, international distribution. We've been trying to work on getting it out to a more mainstream uh, audience. But in the meantime, you know, it's, it's been uh, definitely viewed about a quarter million times at least. Um, it's on various platforms there. We offer licenses that people can do screenings in person, like in their community, and we've done several of those. And um, you know, we don't we're, we offer that for free for uh, groups that don't have resources uh, or a very minimal licensing fee. So we're trying to make it as access, uh, accessible as possible. I've screened it at a few conferences. I may screen it um, at Anarcapulco this February. Um, uh, an excellent conference there. Uh, so it's it's been amazing, you know, but of course it's not uh, on Netflix where it could be viewed by a wider audience. And although we're trying to um, reach some platforms that have somewhere close to that kind of reach, um, but I think it could be, you know, much more um, impactful. But uh, people who have seen it have uh, really appreciated uh, the honesty involved, um, and they appreciate my uh, fortitude, uh, you know, uh, dealing with members of the public like the police, um, you know, in a calm way, trying to show the injustices that we have experienced during this uh, last few years um, as a result of uh, a corruption of the truth. Mm. And what was it? Was it yourself that decided to put this documentary together or was it? you know, between you and your, your, your colleagues? Well, this was a really, um, a collaboration with a filmmaker, Marcy Cravat. Um, we had a phone call and she was just so curious and wanted to know and ask a million questions and read everything that, uh, that I would recommend to her to understand this topic. And, uh, she had made such beautiful films, it was like a natural collaboration. So when I thought, you know, do I write a book or make a film, I thought a film would be more accessible to most people um, to do first, although I'm working on a book now. And um, I just pitched it to Marcy. I'm like, Marcy, you know, you seem like the perfect person to uh, do this. And she was really uh, gung-ho from the beginning. And, uh, you know, she created an amazing movie, uh, you know, by uh, using my content. And, and uh, you know, of course, we uh, connected with all these other amazing um, researchers and doctors uh, to contribute to the film and others, other, you know, people from the community um, who were, you know, kind of uh, grassroots activists to, to show not just, you know, it's not just a talking head scientific uh, documentary film. It's we mix 
the important scientific truths with the human experience and help. We're trying to bring about this paradigm shift, you know, from this uh, toxic germ theory model to a model that uh, is uh, respective and inclusive of nature, which, you know, we can call the terrain medicine umbrella like we talked about today. So mm. I think, um, you know, someone can view this and get the idea of, you know, how we got into this mess and what is the, the way out that best respects the human potential. I think we're all on the same hymn sheet that illness comes from within if we, if we don't look after ourselves. Well, when you say, when you say comes from within. Oh, oh so, sorry. All, all contaminants, you know, uh, pollutions in, in the environment. It, it, um, is that what you were going to say? Well, I just, I was just uh, wanted to hear your explanation. I was a little unclear, but, uh, but please continue. Yeah, no, I, I just massively think the the vast majority of illnesses, we are what we eat. And I, I think we've been led in the Western world to think you can literally binge out on Coca-Cola and, uh, and Big Macs and that there's no, nothing to, you know, there's no deficit, there's nothing to pay for that. Well, I'm, I'm, I would say there is, <laughs> you know, you don't feed your plants Coca-Cola because you know, they'd die within, <laughs> a, they would die within a week and everyone would look at you like you're mad. And yet, you know, the there is a, there is a, um, a, a film actually, it's a, you know, um, sarcastic, uh, film about the future and they actually do <laughs> feed the plants with Gatorade and yeah. they can't understand why the plants are dying. <laughs> I think it's called Bondo. Bondo is good for crops. <laughs> yes. Idiocracy, which is what, Idiocracy, you know, yes. which is the dumbed down state that, that we're facing. I, I know you've got to go. So ordinary, I say stay behind so I can thank you properly. But no, no, no. Just, um, doctor, get on the road. Just uh, take my uh, massive love from all of our subscribers to you and, and your wonderful family. And, and massive thank you to everybody that, um, uh that put the documentary together and uh the future's bright and the future is ours <laughs> absolutely i uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk and uh, i'd be happy to uh come back and speak more anytime definitely definitely and that invite is always or any anything i can do please let me know and friends at home massive love to you too if you could like and subscribe that would be brilliant and uh We'll see you in the truth next time. Thank you. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.